This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. 45 yards rushing on the drive. Here's a cutback for the touchdown for Crowell. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today's episode, we're going to be joined by Jason Fitzgerald of Over the Cap talking about the Jets' roster construction, the problem with that roster construction, and how they can dig themselves out of some of the holes they put themselves into. Uh, Really good interview. We run around 30 minutes or so. Definitely listened through the entire discussion. Uh, Definitely got in the weeds on the Jets' salary cap uh, and how they can approach free agency this offseason. Jason can be followed on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC. And also make sure you check out Wednesday's episode, as we had two this week featuring Brian Bassett uh, talking about the rest of the Jets season. And we are now joined by today's guest, Jason Fitzgerald of Over the Cap, one of the best, actually the best resource out there for salary cap information and contract information on NFL players. Also a big Jets fan. Jason, first time on the pod. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, not a problem. Glad to be here. So today... I want to focus on some of the data you've been sharing recently and more generally on the Jets' overall roster construction. We're not going to talk Todd Bowles and coaching staff at all today. We'll do that on a different pod. We know all the problems there. Guys in over his head, this coaching staff has been a mess and that's been pretty apparent for a while. Instead, we're going to focus more on the front office, Mike McCagnin, and how they've used their resources over the past few years. Now, The conventional view, I would say up until about a few weeks ago, when I'm starting to finally see some cracks in this, has been that Bulls would get fired. They would keep McCagnin. McCagnin never got to pick his own coach. He is not as big of a problem as Bulls. Bulls is terrible. McCagnin is average to improving, uh, but he really isn't the big problem, and he really merits a fifth, sixth, and seventh year with a new coach. I vehemently disagree with that and think he's been just about as bad as Bowles. I think he's just been much smarter with the narratives that he's been pushing year to year. To his credit, navigating the media is important in this marketplace, but the reality is is that he's had many opportunities, a lot of cap space, a lot of picks, and this roster is still one of the worst rosters in the NFL. Holistically, before we dive in a little deeper, how would you assess the job McCagnin has done over his three and a half years comparatively to a replacement-level GM or other GMs league-wide? Well, you know, if you look at where the Jets are now, uh, are the Jets any different than where they were when he came in? Um, you know, he replaced Idzik. I don't know if you can get any more replacement-level than John Idzik. And it's really just been one lateral move since then. So... I think if you you just look at him overall, I mean, I I think he would just grade that pretty low. Uh, You know, I I don't think it's been a horrendous job, but it it certainly hasn't been good. Um, You know, if you were given a grade, maybe a D um, would be where you would go with that. Uh, The only saving grace at all for him, and as you know from following me on Twitter and just from talks that I'll have about his draft picks, you know, I'm not in love with the decision-making process. But the, the only benefit, um, redeeming quality, I think, that's there is that he really hasn't had in the first round that catastrophic kind of bust player um, that you get nothing out of. Uh, that doesn't make the decisions that he made necessarily good ones or right uh, when given the alternatives. But it, that's about the only saving grace that's there. Uh, I mean, you, you look at every other category, free agency, um, dead money that's been on the roster, 
uh, depth in the draft from the second round, later round, uh, undrafted on the team. It's just not there. I mean, that they are near the bottom in almost every category. And when you really sit down and you look at it, it, it it's really hard to say that it's anything more than like a D-level job. Can you talk a little bit about the pitfalls of constantly just relying on cap space? I think normally the first thing that we've heard, especially over the past two years, and then the first year was that, yeah, yeah, but they have $100 million in cap space. They have $100 million in cap space. And every time they sign a contract, it seems to be, yeah, but there's always an easy way to get out of it after a year or two. So despite this contract not working, they can cut ties after a year or two, which is pretty much a standard practice now around the league, and they have $100 million in cap space. I seem to think that people are forgetting that the Jets had $100 million in cap space last year, and they came back with Isaiah Crowell, Spencer Long, Tremaine Johnson, Terrell Pryor, and Andre Roberts. And that's very well what a $100 million haul could look like. What, what are some of the pitfalls of constantly relying on having that much money uh, to spend in free agency? Well, you know, free agency is really nothing more than a Band-Aid. Um, you know, in my opinion, free agency is used best when you have that young nucleus in place and you can kind of supplement those guys with the veterans. Because for the most part, if you go into free agency, you are mainly getting players that other teams did not want, uh, that they didn't feel that they were worth the kind of money that they were looking for, uh, that weren't worth a franchise tag even. So it made more sense to just let those players walk away many times for nothing. Sometimes maybe you'll get a, a little draft pick compensation, but for the most part, you're letting them walk away for nothing. So in essence, you're getting players that are kind of, they're not failed players by any stretch of the imagination, but they're not great players. Um, you know, they're, they're probably second tier talents that you're paying top tier money to, uh, you know, Tremaine Johnson, I think would be a perfect example of that. And I know the Rams did use the tag on him twice, but they could never come to a contractual agreement on anything long-term. Um, you know, the Jets, to two years later, come in and turn around and pay him, you know, 14 5 a year or whatever that is. You know, that that's kind of what you're getting. You know, it's a number one corner that's probably more like a number two, but you're paying him, you know, such a huge amount of money. And a lot of those players, because you're getting them uh, kind of right at that peak of their career, if you want to call it that, you're probably only going to get two years out of the player. The third year is probably going to be a declining year. And, you know, anything beyond that, you know, if you're lucky, you'll get something out of them. But more often than not, you're going to move on from those guys. So I think that's really the biggest danger with it is that you kind of are creating this, this roster that it's always a short-term fix. And unless you really are able to address the underlying problems, uh, a lot of times people look at free agency as the, big, uh, the long-term fix. And, you know, you, you let that impact your drafting strategy. You let that impact the way that you build your team. And next thing you know, you have the 2016 Jets, which were just, you know, riddled with bad free agents from the year before who had, you know, a year of good use to them. And you just couldn't wait to get rid of them by the middle of the next season. Looking at how the Jets are currently spending their money, and obviously they have a low amount of money on the books comparatively, what in the, in the more recent near term, what have been the most problematic decisions or allocation of resources? And then on the flip side, what has been sort of the few positive decisions that you've seen that might be able to continue to help the 2019 and potentially even the 2020 team? Uh, you know, the, the, the biggest waste of resources, I think, has been in the secondary. 
Um, I, I, I didn't like the Johnson deal. I just didn't think that made sense. The Jets have spent, uh, I think they ranked number two overall in uh, player contract value that's um, allocated to the cornerback position. Uh, you couple that with the amount of draft capital that they invested in safety, and you're looking at a really high spend on a secondary, and you had a coach where the secondary was kind of supposed to be a bit of his forte, and you were supposed to be able to um, you know, do things maybe with lesser players like was done in Arizona, where you know, Arizona kind of became a, um, a great land for reclamation projects. You, know, you, you got your Antonio Cromartis there off down seasons. You made them look like stars again so they could go out and get big money elsewhere. And I, the Jets have just, I, I just don't understand a lot of the way that they've, they've spent on that position. Uh, if you look at a bright spot for the team, gosh, you know, it, it, it's really not easy to do. Um, yeah, I, I don't look at really anywhere on the roster that they, they've, they excel. Um, you know, and, and it's hard to just look at the way they spend money and say like, okay, well, they're getting a lot of value out of this. I mean, they, they don't spend a lot anymore on the, um, on the defensive line, but their defensive line isn't necessarily that good. Um, you know, they don't spend a lot on their offensive line, uh, or at least at their tackle positions, but you know, those guys really aren't that good. So I, I, it's very hard for me to really even look at something and say, you know, that they've allocated wisely at these positions. It's just hard to do. Moving forward and knowing what we've seen about how this organization is structured, what do you anticipate happening after this offseason? And regardless of, you know, who is kept and who isn't kept, what kind of candidates do you think that the Jets are going to be looking at in the most likely scenario that it's just a head coach? Or do you actually think there is a chance that they would do a full clean house and move on from the general manager? Or do you feel that he's fully safe? I, I, I'm not going to say that he's fully safe. Um, I think he's probably safe. Uh, I, I think that Bowles is probably going to be the fall guy. I think the only way McCagnan would also go down with him um, is if something McCagnan did to have that kind of idzik press conference moment to where all the frustration from the fans and all the attention from the media gets distracted from Bowles and says, wait a minute, well, what is, what's going on here with the general manager? Uh, I think the Jets overall, I think, are kind of reactionary to fan and specifically media pressure. Uh, that's probably what got Tannenbaum fired when he was let go. It certainly is what caused Isaac to, uh, to let go as early as he was. And I think that's the only way that McCagnan goes. Um, I am sure that McCagnan is probably using the, the concept of, um, you know, the, the large amount of, uh, cap space that they have for next season as a way to turn around the organization. The fact that they're going to have a high draft pick, uh, probably coupled with, you know, they expected to be bad this year with the rookie quarterback, which I don't think was the expectation at all. But I'm going to say that that's probably the selling point that he's going to have the ownership. And I think they'll probably buy into that. and He'll be back next year. Under the assumption that he is back next year, and I agree with that assumption, despite me continuing to try to call attention to the shortcomings, I don't think they will actually pull the trigger and move on from him. So I think you're kind of hoping to catch lightning in a bottle with the Rams situation where you add a new coaching staff and that helps elevate the front office and you hit a couple draft picks and everything works out unlikely to happen, but Hey, you never know 
what kind of head coaching candidates do you think come here? And do you think it hurts them that they're going out with a pre-existing front office who in a way is really going to kind of be on a different timetable and under a different level of scrutiny than them? since it will be year five for McCagnan after not getting in the playoffs in the first four years and year one for a new coach and staff? Uh, well, you know, that's probably going to depend on how the Jets approach it. You know, is it going to be him that selects the coach? Is it going to be Chris Johnson that selects the coach? Is Woody going to be selecting the coach? You know, I, I don't know. The Jets are a little bit dysfunctional when it comes to that whole process. It's been that way um, pretty much since the, the Rex Idzik uh, grouping uh, where they were paired together. Uh, the, the Jets... Uh, whatever kind of consulting groups that they use or uh, former NFL executives that they use for opinions on, uh, you know, hiring. I don't know if that's really the right way to go, but that seems to be what they do as an organization. Um, you know, if you're the kind of coach that has a pick of jobs, yeah, the Jets are going to be less desirable because you could have turnover um, that's going to come from the general manager within a year. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a possibility. Um, you know, you, you may also just look at the roster and say, you know, this is such a big project. Um, what are the odds that I'm even going to be here after one year, you know, that you might just be let go. Um, I, I think the Jets would have a difficult time probably getting a, a quote-unquote hot college candidate, and they probably shouldn't go after those kind of play, uh, coaches anyway. And I think the lure of going back to college and dealing with the, the grind of the NFL for a project like the Jets um, I think that's probably too high for them, and they may just walk away from the job. You probably won't get the hottest coordinator that's there, but you know, a lot of times the hottest coordinator doesn't really make the best coach anyway. Um, but more likely than not, I think whatever names are floated out there, you probably won't see the big ones come through, and it'll kind of feel like the Jets settled for somebody. But, hey, you never know um, how that might work out. On the current Jets roster... What do you think is the biggest misconception among fans or among people who follow the team that you hear repeated most frequently, whether it's about a certain player's value or whether it's about just the overall situation? Uh, well, overall, and, you know, I, I, I probably sound like I pick on these players a lot when I'm online, um, these specific guys when I'll talk about the Jets. I think the biggest misperception is Leonard Williams. I think there's this feeling among Jets fans that Leonard Williams is a absolute superstar. Um, I don't think he's anywhere close to that. I think he's a very good player. You know, I like to bring up historical Jets players. Uh, I think there's a lot of Sean Ellis in there. And, you know, Ellis was a, a terrific player, had a really long career with the Jets. It's really good. But it, it's not the same as, you know, John Abraham, and I know John Abraham was very polarizing when he was here, but you're talking about somebody who really devastates games is what Abraham kind of did when he was healthy and he was able to play. And that's not the kind of player that Williams is. And that is, he's kind of become the, the person that's, um, I guess most talked about is like the, the big future of the Jets, And it really hasn't been there. Um, Jamal Adams is probably something similar. Uh, Jamal Adams is a very good player. Um, again, in, unless you are Ed Reed or Earl Thomas or maybe a Troy Polamalu, something like that, it, it, you're not going to make the kind of impact uh, that people think that someone like that is having. Um, you know, he's, he's a fine player. If he would have, if he'd be a player on a really good team, you know, yeah, he'd probably stand out. But when you put a player like that on a really bad team, 
you probably really didn't change much. And I think there is a perception that the Jets have this great foundation because of specifically those two players. Um, and I, I just don't see it. I, I just don't see that as the case. Um, you know, if the whole team improves, yeah, those guys are going to look pretty good. But they're, they're not at that level right now to where they're, they're really making an impact on the Jets, you know, moving them in a positive direction. It's just not there. Yeah, it's always a tough thing uh, because I, I feel a lot of the same thing whenever I'm talking about these guys because, look, as, as a fan, they're among the team's best players, if not the team's best players. They're easy to root for. You know, good guys bring a lot of positive things on and off the field. I just think, as all fans do, this not just Jet fans, you tend to overrate your own talent. So a lot of times the default thing is, you know, McCagney drafted two all-pro players with a six-overall pick and – Leonard Williams isn't an all-pro player. Jamal Adams is an all-pro player. Jamal Adams might be one day. He's certainly not yet. And Leonard Williams, I don't think he ever will be. I think he'll just be a good starter, like you said, in the Sean Ellis mode. And that's fine. You need guys like that. But that trickles down to other things when people are like, well, he hit on Jordan Jenkins in the third round. It's like, yes, Jordan Jenkins is a starter. He's a starter because the Jets are bad. He would not be starting on a good team. Uh, you know, Same thing with some of these other mid-round guys uh, who are okay but not – hits in the mid-round. Alvin Kamara is a mid-round hit. Tyreek Hill is a mid-round hit. Travis Kelsey is a mid-round hit. The Jets have been devoid of finding those kind of guys, and there's a big miss rate in those rounds, but the point is is that once every few years, mathematically, you should be able to find a huge difference maker somewhere between rounds two and five, and the Jets are just picking guys who aren't even in the NFL. I mean, Chad Hansen, Ardarius Stewart, Dylan Donahue, these guys were drafted last year on an NFL roster. That is not average bad. That's uniquely bad. Uh, so when you take all that into consideration, and this debate is going to probably be the highlight debate of this upcoming Jets offseason, and uh, Le'Veon Bell is going to sit out this whole year. He's going to be the prime free agent out there. The Jets have $106 million in cap space. I am finding myself in the awkward situation of that. No one thinks running backs are less valuable than me. I think it's the most replaceable position in sports, particularly football. That being said, I see the Jets in a unique situation where they have so much cap space that they can pay Bell, they can add whatever pass rusher they can get their hands on, and not a lot of good pass rushers hit the market. They can add what's out there on offensive line, and there's going to be limited talent there. And they can add another body or two at receiver or tight end and probably still have money left over uh, to pay Quincy Nuwa and do whatever they want to do with Hunter Williams because it's so much cap space. And with Bell, you could probably structure the deal where it's heavy within the first two years and then find a way to get out of it. Most importantly, it lines up well with Darnold's rookie contract you need to do everything you can in that time frame to support his success because if he fails over these next few years, you gave up a ton to get him. And if he's good over these next few years, you're going to have to pay him a huge contract. It's going to destroy all of your cap space. Where do you land on Le'Veon Bell and how the Jets should approach this offseason? Uh, I'm probably a, a little bit more down on doing that. I, I think he is um... – He's a really good player. Uh, I, I'd be worried about him a little bit. I mean, he does have an injury history. He has uh, some issues off the field as well. Um, I'm not sure the whole taking off a year, what kind of shape he's necessarily going to be in when he comes back. Uh, it's also a far worse situation uh, when you look at the offensive line of the Jets compared to that of the Steelers. Uh, hopefully the quarterback will be as good. Um, you know, that, that's a tall order to be as good as Roethlisberger. Uh, you know, the Jets just don't have that personnel. Um, that said, I mean, it's exciting when you see those guys sign. I'm not going to say it's not exciting. Uh, and I could definitely see the Jets doing it. Um, you know, I, I can see the logic in that. Uh, I can definitely see them 
the way that that's going to make a big splash if they're the team that goes out there and you know signs Bell to that thirteen, fourteen, fifteen million dollar deal. Um, I'd probably be a little down on that, but you know it, it's not going to be a backbreaker. Let's put it this way: I'd rather spend fifteen million taking gamble on him than the Jets inexplicably giving Josh McCown ten million this year. Uh, it, it's a, a better if you're talking about wasting resources. It's a better waste of resources to bring in a running back that. You know, may, maybe can be special for a year or two than a guy that you had no intention of even playing this year and you just wanted him to be a mentor on the sidelines. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch it play out, and particularly if they stay with this front office. It's You look at how they've spent some of this money in the past and you spend $70 million on Tremaine Johnson, you spend whatever you spent on Spencer Long, you spend $10 million on Josh McCown. I just wonder if they're not in the Bell sweepstakes where that money is going. A lot of people are talking about Tevin Coleman. I like Tevin Coleman. No guarantees leaving Atlanta. You also have Philadelphia and the Colts bidding after these guys who have a ton of cap space themselves. And then offensive line, which of course you want to fix your offensive line before you fix running back. One of these things that's a lot easier said than done when it comes to fixing. Everyone wanted to sign Ali Marpet. He was brought back. And a lot of the other guys who were probably at the top of the offensive line list are going to get signed or franchised before they hit the market. I mean, how much for the common response of, we'll just fix the offensive line. Yes, you need to fix the offensive line. Probably need two or three new starters. How realistic is it the Jets to really make tangible progress on fixing the offensive line in one offseason, particularly if they use their first-round pick on a pass rusher? Um, probably not too good. This is not a great year for, uh, for free agents on the offensive line. Uh, last year was a much better year. Uh, the Jets decided really not to go there except for Spencer Long, which kind of blew up for them. Um, you know, the the Broncos center will be available. I think he just got hurt recently, if I'm remembering right. But, you know, he, he'll be a top-paid guy. Uh, they probably should go after him if, uh, you know, if possible. Um, there's not a lot of people really out there, though, otherwise. Um, you know, I'm just quickly glancing at a list here of tackles and there's really not much guard you know roger saffold i mean those are older guys i mean you'd rather get somebody probably coming on their second contract um you know it, it's okay to, to go after a player like that if you have some young guys around him you know the, the way the jets were when they brought in an alan fanica years ago where you're kind of using him to um, teach some of the younger talent, um, you know, how to play, how to prepare, all that kind of stuff. But the Jets don't have those younger guys yet. So I, I don't think the offensive line is something that they can really do this year in free agency, um, just based on who looks like will be available. Um, there's other positions, you know, there, there's a couple pass rushers that might be out there. And, um, you know, I, we, we talked about Bell. Uh, those are positions they probably can address. You know, again, you're looking maybe short-term band-aids, you know, two years you get out of those players, but they can probably address those. And then, you know, you go to the draft for something, something else, hopefully you can find a left tackle or something like that. Um, you know, doing it that way. Uh, so it, one of the things with the Jets and, you know, where you talk about some of those star players and competition for them, the Jets really haven't been in the market, despite how many free agents the Jets have on the team. I mean, the, the Jets have basically the most free agent contracts in the NFL on their team. They had the most, uh, or close to the most non-homegrown players. I think they rank maybe third from the bottom in terms of outside players that have been brought into the organization. Um, but they're, they're 
low-level guys. Like the, the Jets don't go after those guys who are, um, you know, high-ceiling kind of players. Uh, that just really hasn't been the, their thing. And I think the, the Jets have, I was doing this the other day, I think they have, um, they're the only team that doesn't have at least 10 uh, players on the roster that came from the first and second rounds. And when you look at the amount of players they've signed in free agency, I mean, that, that's kind of stunning that they haven't even just, I know the Jets don't get a lot of success from their own second-round draft picks, so a lot of those guys aren't even on the team. But it's like they're not even finding those guys in free agency. They are getting the you know, third, fourth, fifth round kind of guys that you know maybe had a career year and that you, you look at and you say, oh, well, you know, we can get this guy for $6 million and maybe that's worth it. Um, this is probably a year where the Jets are going to have to go in there and I think be more prepared to, to go after some of these higher-priced players. But if they go with the same strategy they have, it's kind of like the, the same way the Tennessee Titans operate. And it's kind of weird to think that a team in New York would be operating the same way as the team in Tennessee. Uh, but that, that's kind of the way they've operated a bit with the way they've approached the contracts the last couple of years. All right, final question before we let you go. Um, as it stands today, what are your predictions on Jets' final record? What their regime looks like next year, so GM, head coach, and the rough sort of like, what are the big headlines of their offseason in terms of additions? They have three wins now. They'll probably win one more game. Uh, they'll, they'll probably have a four-win season. Um, I don't think they can sneak two wins out. They just look so bad. Uh, you know, the team has looked like it's going to quit. Um, so I, I, I'm going to say that they're going to finish with four wins on the season. I think McCagman will be back next year. I don't know who they'll bring in as a coach. I, I really don't uh, you know, have any feel for that. I do think this will be the first offensive coach that they hire in, oh, man, how many years? Cotite is probably the last one. Um, it, you know, that's probably the kind of coach that they're going to bring in. Uh, off-season story is probably all just going to be about the, uh, you know, the young quarterback's development and, you know, how the Jets are, going to bring in a bunch of pieces to help him develop. And I think that is going to be where they try and steer the offseason story. And I think McCagman is pretty effective at working, um, you know, with most of the media people. And I think he's very approachable in that regard. So I think he'll be able to kind of direct the narrative in that way that they are working hard on uh, improving the roster through any means necessary to um, give him the talent that he needs to work with. And I'm sure there will be some, discussion at some point where he'll do some interviews come January time frame where, you know, may, maybe they misevaluated the roster. He takes the full blame for that. And, uh, you know, he, he's really learned from mistakes in the last year, yada, yada, yada. And I have a feeling that's, that's kind of what the stories are going to be in January and February. I think that sounds about right. And I think that sort of outreach and media approach will begin sooner rather than later as we, suffer out these last six weeks, which hopefully might net a top three pick. We'll see. Jason Fitzgerald, thank you for joining us. Everybody check out his work at Over the Cap and give him a follow on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC. Thanks, Jason, and we'll talk to you this offseason. Thanks.